0: following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Okay, so I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it in your head. Um, I want to do a little word association. And so what do you think of when you hear the word alone? The first thing that pops into your head, I wonder, is it a positive thought? Or a negative thought? Is it neutral? Where would you be on a scale between liking the word alone and, and not feeling so good about the word alone? You know, when it comes to the concept of not being around other people, you can think about it in two ways. You can think of loneliness which is sort of a negative connotation of alone, or you can think of solitude, which um, could have a more positive connotation of the same word. The um, the Germans have more than one word that is translated um, as alone or solitude, and that's important to us because we'll be thinking about this in a little bit when we dig into this chapter of Bonhoeffer's book, but one of the one of the German words um, that I like, it's, it's, it's uh, Einsamkeit. And as I understand it, now I don't speak German, but um, I did take a German literature in translation course, so I'm pretty much an expert. Um, <coughs> but as I understand it, it's, it's a, a neutral sense of aloneness. Right? So it's not lonely, it's, 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 but it's alone. And one of my favorite uh, German poets is Rainer Maria Rilke. And uh, I have a Rilke poem that I want to put on the screen here, a part of one. You, my sacred solitude, and that's that word, unsamkite aloneness. You, my sacred solitude, you are rich and pure and open as a garden awakening. Isn't that beautiful? Let's do the same thing with another word. What about the word silence? Does silence have a positive connotation or a negative connotation for you? Maybe it depends on how many people live at, at your house or in your apartment. <laughs> Imagine, if you will, sitting in a room with your best friend. Who's your best friend? Do you know who he or she is? If you're sitting in, your, in the room with your best friend, this might be your spouse or partner if you're um, one of those types. It might be a family member if you're one of those types. If you're sitting in the room with your best friend in silence, is that, would that indicate that something good is going on? Or that something bad is going on? This is a tricky one for, for spouses, for people who get married, especially early on in their marriage. Does silence mean you're mad at me? Or does silence mean you're content? <laughs> um, now imagine this. Imagine a 45-minute commute to work or to school with no one else in the car and the radio off. And no podcasts, no headphones, nothing. Is that blissful? <laughs> or terrifying, (laughs) or maybe somewhere in between. We've reached chapter 3 in our summer read, Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, and chapter 3 is titled, The Day Alone. So we're going to be talking today about solitude and about silence. These are two classic spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. But we're talking about them, aren't we, in the context of community, talking about solitude and silence in a chapter in a book that's titled Life Together. Solitude and silence in community, it might at first seem to be a contradiction in terms. But I love how Bonhoeffer frames this. Um, One of the ways that he does is, and I'm realizing I didn't bring a Bible. If someone could bring one up to me, that would be great. One of the ways that he does is with a particular scripture verse, which I think is... Um, quite poignant, and I guarantee that everybody in the room will know these words, whether you've ever read a page of the Bible or not. Uh, so I want to ask you to turn to the Book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you want a trick for how to do that without going to page 537, which might be cheating, if you open your book in the middle, you'll probably hit Psalms or somewhere close to that. Uh, and if you flip ahead, you see Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. And we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter three, which is on page 537. Down at the bottom of that page. And as I said, you'll recognize these words even if you know nothing about the Bible. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones. And a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. To everything, turn, 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 right? So there is a time and a place for everything. By the way, the book of Ecclesiastes is um, really fun to read. Um, (laughs) If you think the Bible was written entirely by very holy, positive-minded spiritual people, read the book of Ecclesiastes and find in there uh, a fairly cynical view of the world, I I think. And yet one that is somehow attached closely to God. Um, Anyway. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a, book on, uh, a series on Ecclesiastes someday. That might be fun. So a time and a place for everything. And that would include both solitude and being with other people in community. It would include both silence and conversation or noise. And you know what else I didn't bring? And this is actually kind of crucial. I didn't bring my copy of Life Together, which has some highlights that I was going to read. As I went through this, Um, Dan, could I ask you to go down to my office quick like a bunny? Uh, (laughs) I believe it's on my desk to the left of my keyboard. While he's gone, we'll play a game. (laughs) How many people in here would describe yourself as an introvert? Holy cow. I knew we had some, but wow, okay, so how many of you describe yourself as an extrovert? Those hands went way up higher. one of them has one person has two hands up. <laughs> I see a person doing the uh, a wave here um. <laughs> How many of you at the ballpark when they do the wave you're like <laughs> Thank you, Dan so we are um, that we're uh, we're a little heavy on introverts at Artisan, at least today, right? Um, Which is, I think will be interesting as we go through this. So, there's a time for both solitude and being with others. There's a time for silence and for conversation. And listen to what Bonhoeffer has to say about solitude and community. If you have your Life Together book and you want to kind of follow along when I read a couple of passages here, you can, but it's entirely not required, so... I'm going to look at page 77 and 78 here for a second. This is sort of the key dichotomy in this chapter. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings and one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. (laughs) So between those two things, it probably offers a warning to each one of us, doesn't it? That you can't function properly in community if you're not able to be alone sometimes. And then if you're not functioning properly in community, you're not going to be able to have fruitful times of being alone. It's a great mystery. And then he says that the mark of solitude is silence. But this comes with a warning of its own. He it says silence can be a dreadful ordeal with all its desolation and terrors. It can also be a false paradise of self-deception. The latter is no better than the former. So take heed, fellow introvert snobs. <laughs> Sometimes when we just want silence, what we're looking for is a a, a false paradise of self-deception. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. There's always going to be this tension between being alone and being with others. Between being in silence and making noise around other people. It's called conversation. <laughs> so, I want to answer two questions about solitude and about silence. If we pair them together, solitude and silence, the first question I want to ask, and Bonhoeffer gives us a pretty clear answer, is what is the purpose of solitude and silence? Right? If there's a time for everything uh, under the heavens... A time to speak and a time to keep silence. What is the purpose of those times when it's appropriate to be silent and to be in solitude? That's the first question. The second question plays off of it, and it helps us, if we can answer it, it will help us understand this mystery. The question is this, what is the purpose of solitude and silence in community? Because I think a lot of us, uh, especially those who raised your hands and said, you're a little introverted, we don't have any trouble finding a purpose (laughs) For solitude and silence, we kind of maybe wish we had more of it, but if we're not, uh, if, if that's only for our self-gratification, then we're missing the point of why a chapter about it might exist in a book titled Life Together. Okay, so we have to answer both these questions. So the purpose of solitude and silence, Bonhoeffer says that there are three. And I'll go through them quickly here. The first one uh, is meditation. Now, when Bonhoeffer talks about meditation, he's, he's not talking about an uh, Eastern style of meditation where there's a, a goal of um, kind of emptying and wiping uh, away so you have a clean slate. I am um, not one of those preachers who's going to rail against that. If you have an experience of uh, Eastern style meditation that's been positive for you, I, I don't think that's from the devil or something like that. Um, but that's not what Bonhoeffer's talking about when he says meditation. That's why I want to bring that up. When Bonhoeffer talks about meditation, what he's talking about is nothing less than meditating on Scripture. Right. Okay, page 79. Silence is nothing else but waiting for God's word and coming from God's word with a blessing. So once again, we can think about all this stuff in the book Life Together in the context of and in the wake of our thematic thread from last year being shaped by the words of scripture. This just offers a different context and methodology for how we could be shaped by the words of scripture. And that's really been kind of fun to discover as I've reread this book because I did not reread the book prior to choosing it. Um, and the leadership team was involved in that, that decision as well. Uh, as our summer read, I hadn't read it in years. And so I had forgotten how much emphasis Bonhoeffer places on scripture throughout this book. Um, So it's been really neat to see how Shaped by the Words really pushed us into life together, which will push us into, we hope, our next decade, which is the coming theme. So as to methodology for this meditation on scripture, it's different and it's a contrast to his uh, instructions about how we ought to use scripture when we're spending the day with others. Now those of you who came to our morning liturgies this past week on Tuesday and Thursday, you remember that we read scripture together and it was not two or three verses at a time. We read entire chapters of scripture together. This is very different. Here, page 82. If in our reading of the scriptures together we are led into the whole length and breadth of the Bible... Here, and he's referring to meditation during solitude, here we go into the unfathomable depths of a particular sentence and word. Both are equally necessary. But I wonder if you've ever tried anything like this. If, like me, you've you've been reading scripture, trying to do some sort of meditation on it, and you have found that it was very dry for you. That you were experiencing a certain level of apathy about it. You could take it or leave it. It's not really doing anything for you. Or even that you were unable to meditate at all. Right? If, if you're in that boat, clearly you are not ready for meditation like Bonhoeffer describes it. Except that you are. <laughs> Hear these reassuring words, those of you who struggle these ways. Above all, it is not necessary, it is not necessary that we should have any unexpected, extraordinary experiences in meditation. This can happen, but if it does not, it is not a sign that the meditation period has been useless. Not only at the beginning, but repeatedly. And that's important for me to hear. Not only at the beginning, but repeatedly, there will be times when we feel a great spiritual dryness and apathy and aversion, even an inability to meditate. It is here that our old vanity and our illicit claims upon God may creep in by a pious detour. (laughs) These words are dense. It is here that our old vanity... And our illicit claims upon God may creep in by a pious detour, as if it were our right to have nothing but elevating and fruitful experiences, and as if the discovery of our own inner poverty were quite below our dignity. Wow, that is a, that's not even a slap to the face, that is a roundhouse (laughs) punch. With that attitude we shall make no progress. Progress. So, uh, uh, to to boil that part of it down, here's what he's saying. If you've tried to meditate and it didn't go well and you didn't have a positive experience and you quit, that is not acceptable. (laughs) It's not a good reason to quit. Keep going. It's not exactly particularly helpful or hopeful, perhaps, but that's what he says, and I, I have to agree with him. So, the first... Uh, purpose of solitude and silence is meditation specifically meditation on the scriptures so that we are shaped by their words the second purpose of solitude is prayer and for Bonhoeffer this prayer is specifically a personalized response to the words of scripture on which you have just meditated he says the scripture meditation leads to prayer So once again, he's pointing us to the Bible. He's encouraging us to let the words of Scripture shape and transform us. But have you ever been trying to pray and, like me, you find that your your mind wanders to something else? Some person that you're interested in for some reason or another? some task that you have to do that day, something that you are dreading or looking forward to. If your mind wanders when you are praying, you are not ready to pray in the sense that Bonhoeffer is describing. Except that you are. (laughs) Once again, hear these reassuring words. It is one of the particular difficulties of meditation that our thoughts are likely to wander and go their own way toward other persons or to some events in our life. Much as this may distress and shame us again and again, we must not lose heart and become anxious or even conclude that meditation is really not something for us. When this happens, it is often a help not to snatch back our thoughts convulsively but quite calmly to incorporate into our prayer the people and the events to which our thoughts keep straying and thus in all patience return to the starting point of the meditation. Now here he gives us some practical advice. If you have meditated on scripture and you have begun to pray out of scripture and your mind begins to wander to your job or to your relationships or to something you're looking forward to or something that you're dreading or all the work that you have to do before you go back home or anything like that. What Bonhoeffer says to do is don't like smack that away and try to go back to your holy space. (laughs) What he says is invite that in and incorporate it into your prayer. I think that's a brilliant suggestion because it it helps you to stop self-flagellating about how bad you are at prayer, this is an entirely unhelpful thing to do, by the way. so the first purpose of meditation or excuse me, the first purpose of solitude is meditation, and the second purpose is prayer that follows out of the scriptures, and the third one the third purpose is intercession. Now for some of us who grew up in the church and uh, our our entire conception of prayer is intercession intercession is asking for something on somebody else's behalf um, and a lot of us grew up going to church and never understanding prayer to be anything more than dear God some version of my list that I might send to Santa if, I, if it were December <laughs> amen right intercession is a part of prayer but prayer is so much bigger than that here's how he defines intercession Intercession means no more than to bring our brother or sister into the presence of God. To see him or her under the cross of Jesus as a poor human being and sinner in need of grace. And then, here's another helpful piece. Then, everything in him that repels us falls away. Have you ever felt like you kind of, sort of, maybe should pray for somebody, but you don't really like that person very much. (laughs) Like, okay, I'll pray because that's what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not actually sure I want the best for you right now. (laughs) Maybe you're all nicer than me, I don't know. There's a pretty good chance. Bonhoeffer's cure for that is to see them under the cross of Jesus as a poor human being and a sinner in need of grace which does nothing more or less than level the playing field for every human being, right? So anything that's repellent will go away. Anything that's really, like, warm and welcoming and attractive will be negated. It levels the playing field. And it's a lot easier to pray for somebody when that person is on the same plane as you and as all the other people in the world that you might happen to like or dislike, right? So these three purposes for solitude and for silence, meditation, prayer, and intercession. What does that then have to do with community? What does the day alone benefit us when we think about life together? Well, the answer is that we are all members of one body. The persistent, pervasive metaphor for the church in the scriptures is that of a body, specifically the body of Christ. Christ, who had a corporeal body, physical body, on earth, which is now not present with us any longer, has yet a body, physical, corporeal, on earth, in the form of the church. We are the body of Christ. All of you who are part of Artisan are part of a body, an organism. And it doesn't matter if you've signed a membership covenant. It doesn't matter how much you give, if any. It doesn't matter if you're involved in ministry at a top level and everybody gets to see it. It doesn't matter if you sweep the floors. It doesn't matter if you do nothing. If you come into this place and worship in this room or participate in this church in any other way, I am telling you that you are a part of this body. Bonhoeffer says, we are members of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. And here's the kicker, and this is why solitude matters to community. Every member serves the whole body, either to its health or to its destruction. This is no mere theory, it is a spiritual reality. As members, and, and the, the word member is so confusing when you see you are members of the body. It sounds like you have like, uh, you're, you're members of a club. That's not what it means. In that context, the translation into the word members means a body part, right? Perhaps you can think of context when that word might be used that way. That's what it means, except that it refers to all the parts of the body, So I prefer the translation that said we're one body with many parts. That's probably closer to the truth. Whatever part of the body you are, whatever you do to care for yourself, to grow in your faith, it affects everybody else. And part of This is very simple. Part of self-care is is being alone sometimes, of having properly defined and practiced experiences of solitude. And if you don't do that, you're harming yourself, and that, as a consequence, harms the body as a whole. So I want to conclude with a very simple statement. Our community will be stronger if we each spend time alone. That's what I think this whole thing boils down to. Our community will be stronger if we each spend time alone. So perhaps you have wondered sometimes, "Ah, I've been coming to Artisan for a while, how can I help the community? How can I be part of this? I don't really see any area of ministry for myself. Uh, I don't know that I fit in perfectly. Or maybe you've... Been coming to Artisan for a long time, and you think, gee, I really like my church. Artisan is pretty good. I just wish it were better in this specific way that's important to me. Wish it were stronger. If you're looking for a way to improve the community, if you're looking for a way to make the community better and stronger, there are lots of ways you could go about that. This is not the only one, but one way that you could go about making the community better and stronger, is to learn how to be alone. Our community will be stronger if we each spend time alone. I really believe that that is true. So last week we talked about the day with others, and our application was on Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. to come here in this room, and a dozen or more of us came on each day, and uh, we, we went through a Bonhoeffer-style morning liturgy. I want to uh, continue that theme this week, but apply this chapter's teaching, not last chapter's teaching. So I want to ask you to do a morning liturgy on Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m., but I want to ask you to do it on your own. Okay. Um, Now, if you can't do it at that particular time, I totally understand. You know, some of you wanted to come to the morning liturgies this past week and the timing was just not right. You work too early or too late or you work overnight or something, whatever it might be. I want as many of you as possible to do this at Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. because that's, it will put some teeth into it if you know that other people are doing it at the same time. But if you absolutely can't do it then, just do it whenever you want. Do it twice. And I'm going to give you a specific uh, way to do this. Here's the Liturgy of Solitude it's four steps, okay? And uh, you can write this down if you want, but I, I will put it on our Facebook and Twitter account, and um, I'll try to remember to put it in on the website as well, but that's a little bit harder to remember to do. But you don't need to, anyway. You can remember this just by what we talked about this morning. Here's the, step one is silence. I want you to practice five minutes of silence. Tell Siri to set a timer for five minutes... And close your mouth and don't say anything and don't try to be in a place where you won't hear anything else uh, within reason for five minutes. And I would be very curious to hear if that feels like an eternity to you or if it feels like the blink of an eye. Five minutes of silence is step one. Step two is meditate on a verse of the Bible. And I didn't put it in my notes and I can remember it. It's so easy to remember. It's John, because we love John. We've been doing John for a couple of years off and on. 10, 11. That's easy, right? I got it right. <laughs> I had to make sure. <laughs> five minutes of silence. Meditate on John 10, 11. Now remember, it's just a few words. You're not going to go all the way through. You, you can allow these different words to soak into you a little bit at a time. And uh, spend a while on that. I would say you want to do at least five minutes for each of these four steps. Number three, pray. Out of that verse, okay. So remember how the meditation on Scripture leads to prayer, and in this case, it's not intercessory prayer yet. It's not praying for your friends or your family or yourself. Uh, it's praying something out of the Scriptures, and in this case, praying something out of John ten eleven. It's easy to say it. John ten eleven. Five minutes of silence. Meditate on John ten eleven. Pray. Out of that verse. And then the last thing is intercession. Pray for others. You know, and you can pray certainly for your family and friends. You can absolutely pray. And I would 100% encourage you to pray for the the prayer requests that were shared earlier during our congregational prayer time. But you also have to pray for those people who kind of like are repellent to you. (laughs) Remember... Think of them as a person under the cross of Jesus in need of love and grace. Just like you. Just like your best friend. Just like your mom. Just like your kids. <laughs> That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Tuesday at 7 a.m. And again, Thursday at 7 a.m. Take 20 minutes or more to do a liturgy of solitude. Five minutes of silence. Meditate on John 10, 11. Both days. Pray out of that verse and then pray for others. That will be our liturgy of solitude. And um, I would love to hear from you. I would really love to hear from you how that goes. So please send me an email or text me or something um, and let me know because I'm very curious to hear how that experience goes for us. So uh, let's close with prayer. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the witness of your servant, Dietrich von Bonhoeffer, for this book and the way that it's uh, seeming to be placed at just a perfect time between our thinking about being shaped by the words and our thinking about what our next decade as a church community will be like. Uh, we pray that uh, we would know and accept and live out the truth from Ecclesiastes that there's a time for everything. And uh, specifically we ask for your help this week as we try to practice the discipline of solitude and silence. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be present with us in our aloneness. That we would be shaped by the words of scripture on which we meditate. That we would be led into prayer and and into intercession that these experiences would be transformative for us and uh, ultimately would make our community stronger. May it be true that our community becomes stronger when we learn to spend some time alone. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, let me invite you now to a community sacrament, one that is very much about being together, and uh, that is the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. At Artisan, we practice intinction, so you can tear off a piece of the bread. That means tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in one of the cups. We have wine and juice labeled at both stations. If you'd like to have your kids take communion with you, that's fine. If you want to get them right after you to take communion, that's fine. Uh, If you'd like to receive personalized prayer, you can have that happen up here um, under the cross. This is an open table. It's the table of the Lord, not of the church. It's Jesus who invites invites you to it, not me. So, all who are seeking to follow the invitation of Christ are welcome to this place and to this sacrament. We bless you and um, are thrilled to join in this experience together. And we'll continue to sing a couple more songs as we do it. So, respond as the Spirit leads. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.